0: Let's go to John 10, 22, and I'm going to read to verse 30, and then deal with the subject. Can a true believer ever be lost? At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So, the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give, I'm continually giving them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one." I must make a comment lest I forget it since the emphasis of the sermon is on our salvation. When he says, I and the Father are one, let me ask you a question. Does that mean we're the same person? Can't be. There's a triune Godhead, right? So, what in the world, how are they one? It's interesting that the word one here is a neuter. We are one thing. We have something we hold in common And what they hold in common is the essence and attributes of God. We hold the essence, the attributes, and the nature of God, we hold it equally. We can say this also of the Spirit. We are one in that we're deity. We're all God. We're distinct persons, but we're as much God as the other. You see, if you put the Trinity in an arm wrestling match, no one could win because they're all equally God. Now, the way it's arranged, the son would let himself be defeated because he said, I'll submit to you, Father. If you want to win, if you want me to go to the cross, I'll go. But in a true manifestation of deity, no one member of the Trinity is any stronger than the other, but they all submit to the Father. Marvelous. That's where there's power struggles in the home, in the church. You don't like church officers. You don't like church pastors. Elders, You don't like your husband, I'm just as equal, Uh, no doubt you are. You don't ever submit to a husband because he's better than you or stronger than you because you know how to poison him. (laughs) You submit because you love God more than your husband because God won't hurt you. Your husband might, and you might have to leave him eventually. Cause I don't want you to stay and him beat you up. He's not worth it. Women were not made to be beaten, they were not made to be abused. Don't let me get started on that subject. I got to stay with the text. Um, look at uh, some things Jesus says here. Of course, this chapter is the chapter on the great shepherd and his sheep. And. Uh, Notice he said, you don't get what I do because you're not my sheep. He wasn't all surprised. Then he says something, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Uh, Let me just give you some of the characteristics of the sheep. They know his voice. If you had 500 sheep in a uh, fold, a, a cave in the side of a mountain and a shepherd came. And he called, if 100 of those sheep belonged to him, 100 would come out, <clears throat> and they'd follow him. The other 400 would move, because they only know the voice of one shepherd. So, Jesus says, my sheep know me, and they follow me. McGee says a great little statement. The badge of who the sheep are, are, are those who obey." If you don't obey Jesus, you're not a sheep. You're not a sheep. You're just a, maybe a wolf in sheep's clothing. You go back, but inside you're really a wolf. My sheep obey me. My sheep follow me. John 15, my sheep obey my commands. That doesn't make you a believer. It's evidence you are. It's evidence you really have become a follower of Christ. He goes on, they will not follow a stranger, another voice, uh, because he knows them, says, my own know me, in verse 14, and in the future, there will be other sheep like you and I that will hear his voice uh, 1,900 years after this event. Now, let's say something about the shepherd. In verse 4, he says, I promise to lead my own, number one, my shepherd leads me. Two, he gives them eternal life. That's the debate. Is it eternal or conditional or temporal? Well, look at that. He promises that nothing will ever pluck them out of his hand. And it's interesting. It's our word for rapture. Uh, it's the word to snatch or to steal by force. Nothing can forcefully take you out of his hand once you're in his hand. Uh, Strong, strong. uh, In the Greek, it's a double negative. Nothing, absolutely nothing will ever snatch you out of my hand. Uh, The sheep were given to Christ by the Father back in John 6, and here the Father joins the Son in keeping his own. Well, uh, let's talk about it. How many of you know somebody that professed Christ that no longer walks with Him? All of us. I've, I've pastored them, I've baptized them, I performed the marriage ceremony, and I no more think they're a Christian than the man in the moon today. They walked away. Profession doesn't make you a believer, it's continuing to follow. That's the only way I know the true sheep. And people will ask me, wow. What do you think about them? I said, are they following? Well, you just can't unsave them? Well, I never did save them. And obviously Jesus didn't. That's the problem in the American church is that we don't know who the sheep are and who aren't the sheep. Because I just want to get on the roll. We got a lot of people coming. I want to join. We say, we're not sure sure we want you to join. We want to see if you're a sheep. We want to see behavior. We want to see, uh, is this a dangerous thing to join the local church? They may have to excommunicate you. So we want to be sure you want to belong. And you don't want to belong, that's your choice. But sheep obey. Sheep obey. And so uh, we live today in this quagmire of even what Jesus said. Four soils. Some immediately spring up, And then the sun comes out, they die. They wilt, they wither. Uh, Some temptations eliminate them. He's giving all the odds that the seed will not take. Only one of the soils becomes a believing soil, him whom God gave the heart to receive the gospel. It's a divine and a sovereign thing. Uh, We have Jesus' warning in John 7, beware of false teachers, And you'll know them because they will have trees that have leaves but no fruit. Uh, They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And I love my dad's country boy explanation of it. He asked me one time, do you know how you can tell a wolf in sheep's clothing? And I'm saying, duh, I don't know. He said, track them. They still make the footprint of a wolf. I never tracked any wolves before, he had. You don't leave many tracks on asphalt streets. Where he grew up, they did. He said, no, they still make the footprint of a wolf. They've only put on an outward profession. And it's very hard today to know who's really saved and who's not. If you just go on verbal profession, you gotta, is there any fruit? What evidence is there that they're truly born again? And that's why I think First John was written, the evidences, the marks of a truly born-again person. Um, and so John said, some went out from us, but they never were ek out of us at, as to origin. They went out, but they were not out of us. So we know, we know as we start this discussion, uh, those who say eternal life, is conditional, use about 85 verses that we're not going to look at. I want to be here a few weeks. Uh, And uh, I must say by way of testimony that everything I'm going to espouse today, I did not believe the first 10 years I was saved. Saved at 14, let's say about 26, I started believing this stuff because I always believed you could lose it. And I did for six months. I backslid. Anybody ever backslide? Are you backsliding now? I, no, I didn't mean a trick on you. Those of you you were, but you, uh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't try to catch, them. oh, you're back, no. Well, I backslid when I first got saved because I grew up with this, that did you ever hear the song Sin shall never enter there. Sin shall never enter there. (laughs) Sin shall never enter there. I thought, well, I just sinned. I guess I don't get to enter. Because nobody ever showed me that when I sin, I need to confess it and take it to the Lord, but I don't have to start all over again. And so, after I did about, oh, 10 good sins, I thought, I must either be a hypocrite or unsaved. Uh, I I just lost it, sincerely. And I would, uh, by way of testimony, don't want to bog you down with this, I would cry at night uh, in the bed after I'd been out sinning with my buddies and say, Lord, I sure wish I could live it. I sure wish I could go to heaven, but I just can't live it, so I've thrown in the towel. I thought that was at least honest and through God's guidance, not through theology, just experientially. I was invited to a prayer meeting on a Sunday night, and there I just said, God, I would sure like to serve you. I'm bombing it. Uh, I'm sorry for this stuff I've been doing, but you know, I just don't know how to live it. And God in grace and mercy restored me that night, and I picked up. I still don't know how I made it, all that. I must have just automatically confessed, but no one ever showed me the verse. I didn't know that because I grew up in groups where we had to have five revivals a year to keep everybody safe because <laughs> you can lose it by the time that revival was over. So, wonderful circles as long as you can live on probation. And, uh, but let's look at this verse, and I, I want to take the next few weeks giving you next week reasons in the sun that I think your salvation's eternal. Then we'll do reasons in the Spirit. But today, I want to give you six reasons found in the Father for why I think once you put faith in Christ, uh, your eternal life is forever. Now, I don't like uh, the term once saved, always saved. I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I accepted Christ in junior church, and I've been living like hell ever since, and I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Do I make myself plain? <laughs> you're not. It ought to be once saved, always changed. Always. And I always love to ask people, when did you change? Change what? That's your problem. You have never changed. You're still sleeping with the wrong woman. You're still strung out on drugs. You're still a drunk. You're still a thief. There's no change. God didn't save you to keep you in your sin. He saved you to get you out, to set you free, to give you power. But he doesn't leave you like he found you. So once saved, because this is where I grew up, we hated the doctrine of the security of the believer because we understood it because I'm from a Wesleyan Methodist holiness Pentecostal background, we were strict kind of Christians. We believed that anything that fostered a life of sin could be of God, and we understood these worldly old Baptists had security because they wanted to live like the devil. Isn't that terrible? But that's what we thought of you. Now you say, no Baptist, and I went to Baptist, no Baptist is going to change me on this. You guys are worldly. I saw three girls wearing makeup. I knew they were worldly. That was the background. That was the background. A lot of external rules and things. And so we said, you couldn't believe security because it sounds like a license to sin. I'm covered. I got mine. Doesn't matter how I live, so I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. Once saved, always being changed. It's a continuous process. Well, let's now listen to why I think just in the Father, why eternal life is eternal life. He could have said, and I promise to give you temporal life. I promise to give you life until you sin. I promise to give you life until you flub up. He said, I offer you my life, which is eternal life. Now, first promise, the promise of the Father. The Father said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10. Whosoever believeth in Jesus Christ will be saved and not come into judgment or condemnation. This is the promise of God and the promise of the Son. God has given his word that if you'll put your faith in Christ, he'll give you the kind of life that will never cease to be. It's a divine promise. And he offers it that it to us as sinners. Believe in Christ, they that call upon the name, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you can't take God at his word, you can't count on anything. That you want to believe God's word. That's our only, uh, sometimes the people with security can come across cocky or arrogant. No, we don't, hey folks, this is not about our ability. It's about his work in the sheep. It's not about our ability. Because we're all wrecks left to ourselves. I don't think there's a sheep here that's ever going to land in heaven if you didn't have the right shepherd. He says, you just can't. Uh, I just know sheep too well. I'm one of you. we prone to wonder prone to leave the God I love. Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. We all have been acquainted enough with our sins, our temptations, our weaknesses, to no one boast. I'll be there because I can make it. Oh, oh. It's the last thing. I was being disciplined for teaching eternal security in a Pentecostal school. And they brought in the Board of Regents Uh, They would have kicked me out, but I had too many family members that were preachers, and they couldn't mess with my family. And so, uh, they had to be good to me. But they called me on the carpet. Are you teaching eternal security? Yeah, I guess I am. And I'm the dean of the school. not supposed to do that. And uh, uh, they said, well, we we can't have that. And then as they interrogated me, one sincere man uh, really meant it, but as tough as a boot. I mean, he wouldn't put up with me very long. Uh, Niemeyer happened to be a relative of my wife's people. Uh, He said, son, I'm really scared for you. I was 26. He said, I'm really afraid for you. And I said, why is that? He said, your position is so arrogant. It is so haughty for you to tell me that you're going to make it all the way and you're never going to fall. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You misunderstand the position. I'm liable to do anything. My my assurance is based upon what he's going to do. See, my assurance is based on my shepherd, not on the sheep. I can get lost five times a day in the field. But I'm telling you, And my life's verse was, and we'll come to it. Now unto him who is able to keep you. My father, again, just a home country boy, he said, he either can or he can't. He is able to keep you from falling, three of you know it, and to present you faultless to the, don't you be arrogant. Don't let me set you up for pride and go out here And have a big blunder because you think you're keeping your, our shepherds keeping us, not the sheep keeping themselves. So, you got to have the right shepherd if you're ever going to make it. Not the false shepherds of Israel. Okay, second thing, the purpose of the Father. Uh, When did God start with you? Oh, before the founding, that's right on, Ephesians 1 Don't you know that before the foundations of the world, God chose you? And he also predestined you. Now, most of you can't even spell it, but you don't believe it. (laughs) Uh, uh, To be conformed to the image of Christ, says it again in Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew them, he called or, or predestined whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. How can God use past tenses on all those words when I haven't even been glorified yet? It's certain. He who sees the end from the beginning says, The same people I justify, the same people I call, the same people I foreknew, the same people I chose, they will be glorified. Past tense. All the way. We're going to have to get more tape. He makes it all. How can God say, I haven't even landed yet? How can you be saying, I'll be, uh, I happen to know everything. And I know how you're going to turn out. I'm going to see to it that you're glorified. Those I chose. God didn't begin with you in time. He began with you back in an eternal plan where he, the Son, and the Spirit planned all things that come to pass. This is called the decree of God, Ephesians 1.11, the divine purpose of God. God was dealing with you in your mother's womb. He was weaving you. And David said in Psalms 51, I was conceived in sin. I started out a sinner at the moment of conception. The sin principle was passed on to me, but God was there weaving me in the womb, determining my pigmentation, my gender, my mental capacities, on and on. God's been involved with his own from eternity past. Now, shall a God that begins back here with you and puts you in the plan in his mind say, ooh, I know I'm going to lose him eventually. Uh, They're going going to just wander off and get lost. Wait, what are you going to do back here to guarantee I'm going to be in heaven? Revelation 13, 8, for he was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world in the mind of the Trinity before he ever made Adam and Eve. He had already nailed his son to the cross for the sin of Adam's race. You can't get your mind around that, can you? He's bigger than you. He knows more than you. An omniscient God, chose his sheep from the foundation of the world. I can't figure out why me, not you, why you, not me. I can answer all those questions. I don't care if you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. Wrestle with it all you want. He said he did. I believe it. I don't have to always explain God, you know. I just take him at his word. Well, you mean you can't explain it? No. A lot of things I believe I can't explain. I can't explain electricity, but I still use it. I've never seen your brain, but I give you credit for having one. A lot of things I can't explain. The power of God. Just picking up, I mean, uh, look at the verse. I give to them, and they will absolutely never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Look, now look at some verses. Do you mind turning through your Bible? I don't have you do much of that. Um, Look at. 1 Peter 1, 5. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The inheritance is being kept. But notice what else. Who, us folks that are going to inherit, we, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed. God's power keeps his own. You're being kept or guarded by God's power. And I love the verse in John 10, 28 and 29, that you're in the son's hand, and as if that's not enough, it seems the picture is the father puts his hand over the hand of his son. You're in between That's why you often see the little ending signature in his grip. We are in the grip of omnipotence, and and you're there, and uh, you often hear people who want to argue for their free will. Well, I can get out anytime I want. You ought to try that. Try it. You won't like it, but try it. The shepherd's got more at stake in getting you to heaven than you do. It reflects on his ability, not yours. Because remember, he called your name and it was Bozo. He can't depend on you to get there. You don't know how to get there. We're dumb sheep led to slaughter. The shepherd makes the difference. He saves, you don't save. I I don't mean to... Insult your intelligence by saying the obvious, but we need to say the obvious. Who saves? The shepherd or the sheep? I can't hear you. Shepherd. Shepherd. Some of you won't even move your lips. You don't know anything. I'm going to tell you, the shepherd takes responsibility for the sheep. It'd be like this. Uh, Hey, uh, where's your little girl? Oh, I don't know. I lost her today. You what? Yeah, I lost. I lose one about every other week. How many you got? I started with 13. No big deal. You know, kids are easy to replace. You got to be kidding. And said, so well, all of a sudden we got God over here losing his kids, losing his sheep. No big deal. I lose them every day. Uh-uh. Nope, nope. We're, we're kept in the hand of God. Uh, I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1:12. I am persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. He's, he's, he's sure of that. Now unto him who is able. Notice who the able is. Who is able? Now unto him. Who's the him? Yeah, God. Your salvation has got to be looking away from yourself to him, the great Savior. To him that's able to keep us from falling and present us faultless. My wife can't even do that. She knows too many faults. I'm trying to get her blind on love. You know, they say that love is blind and marriage is an institution, therefore it's an institution for the blind. (laughs) And so, you just pray they can't see, but wow, it's tough being a pastor and being married I mean, where do you hide after 40-some-odd years? Don't talk to my wife during the service. No, I pay her to keep her mouth shut. (laughs) Not really. Uh, Then uh, let's go to the fourth thing, the love of God. Uh, When when did God start loving you? Well, eternity past. That that is right on. Uh, Look at Romans 5. That. uh, Shows you another time sequence. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Will God ever love you more or less if you're his child? Do you ever have days I feel like, Lord, you couldn't love me. I don't even love me today. I'm just a wretch. You know, I just feel like I'm not doing what I ought to do or feel my weakness. Uh, Look at uh, Romans 5. He said he poured out God's love in our heart, verse 5. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for church-going folks. For for who? Oh, hold on right there. Just turn back. Let me show you another verse, 4, 5. Abraham, the father of the faithful. Notice what it says about him. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. When did God save you? When you were doing good or while you were ungodly? That's what he's saying. And for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Nobody is going to die for the straight-A student. They ruin the class curve. Where is this thing? I'm gonna cast the demon out of it here. Uh, Put more tape on me! Uh, I'm back, folks. Uh, For one will scarcely die that a right, you know, the one such a class curve most other students don't like. But if it's a good Joe, you might idiotically think about dying for it. But God, Shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What he's saying is if God loved you at your worst, how will you ever be any worse than when he first saved you? He found you ungodly, weak. He found you a sinner. Uh, he, uh, uh, you know, man, look, at, look where you were when he saved you. Were you in church. You only went to church because there was nice girls there. If You're a teenage boy. You, you weren't, I mean, come on. If God loved you then, will you ever be worse than how he found you? And then verse 9 says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Much more. If God did all this for us when we were so messed up, much more is he going to do for us now that we're his. And the much more is not to lose us. Not to lose us. Well, um, I love what he says in Romans 8, He has promised, I'll never let anything separate you from my love. And he names all these horrendous trials, seasons, pressures, of life, that if anything would separate you, death, life, things present, I love this, nor things to come. When I was being interviewed by these preachers and the man was, they were going to deal with me, he said, son, I'm, I'm afraid of your arrogance because we got many of our preachers falling into sin. And committing moral failure and having to leave their pastors. And you're just a young man beginning the race. I, I'm afraid for you. Uh, that That's down the road. You don't think it now, but something down the road can trip you up, for it's tripped up many of our preachers. And, and it really was, uh, I think, a loving man. He was trying to help me because if he saw that arrogance or If my position was one of it, he was was carefully trying to warn me. I I give him credit for that. But I must say this to the glory of God. I saw him when he was 92 in a wheelchair in Brentwood at my wife's uncle's house because they're related. And at that time, I was about 64, I was 25 back here, and I went up and I knelt down by his wheelchair, took his hand, I said, Arnold, he's still keeping me. Arnold, I'm still serving him. And I would not try to be smart, I just wanted to see his face smile up. I said, he's keeping me. Because of his keeping power, I didn't run off with the wrong person. I didn't steal the money. I'm still with your niece, 48 years' worth. He's kept, he's kept. Can I not brag on a God that can keep sheep? I'm bragging on the shepherd. I'm bragging on the God who can keep you. When I see a young person, someone come up here, just think. If I said, Oh, you want to receive Christ? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, honey, about six months you'll probably lose it, but you'll enjoy it in the meantime. What? Yeah, you, it's going to fade because you're going to be beset with temptations. You may cave in, you may not. By the way, if I was telling him the whole biblical story, I could have said, Arnold, since I saw you last, I failed. I went to bed with Bathsheba. And since I saw you last, I denied him three times in the garden. But he restored me. He cleansed me. He picked me up. He dusted me off. And I'm still running towards heaven. (laughs) See, you could fail along the way. But he's not done with the sheep just because you get caught in a cliff. The shepherd goes and finds his own. And he brings you back. He brings you back. See, if you're a Christian, you can sin all you want, you just can't be happy. My lens is terrible being out of fellowship with God. You can't enjoy anything. The sins you used to enjoy, you go back there all the time, you're over here. Mine was rock and roll and dances and, you know, pretty girls. And so I went back to that. And all the time I'm at the dance, I just want to watch guys play guitar and see what the riffs sounded like. But all the time I'm there, the Lord's saying, aren't you mine? Didn't I call you away? Didn't I call you? Lord, leave me alone. I'm trying to enjoy a dance. Leave me alone. She's pretty. You can't be against her. No, I'm against you. I want to work on you, Buster. You're mine. Well, Lord, you're only mine when I want to live for you, but when I sign off, bug off. He said, no, 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 you don't have any investments in you. I've done all the investing. My son, my blood, my death, my resurrection, my spirit, you come here, little sheep, you're mine. I don't want to be yours. You are. I'll change your mind. Ooh, and he can change your mind. See, as Christians, we can't sin. He destroys the ability to enjoy it. If you enjoy sin, you don't know him. You don't know him. I'm not surprised. You just don't know him. I can't cuss like I used to, and, and pastoring drives me to it sometimes, just some of the stuff I hear and see. I just nearly want to cuss, but God saved me from that. So I have to clean it up. In the church, there were people I wanted to remodel their nose. But God says, you can't do it. It doesn't look good on your resume. He hits people he disagrees with. Why? Why? The Spirit of God. <laughs> Somebody said, I can't stand the saints. Well, you probably don't know him because you get to loving his people like you love him. I can't make you love Christians. I can't make you love pastors. I tell you what ruined me is meeting Jesus, and he made you look good. Because anyone that knows him looks good to me. I said, anyone that knows him looks good to me. They look like kin folks. Do you have any kin folks? Well, I know you, some of you got kin folks you wish weren't your kin folks. We all do. Let's move right on. This is too convicting. Two more points, just so you can fill in the blanks and get into heaven. Uh, the Father justifies. Then six is the Father saved us by grace. And we just studied justification, Timothy, this week. Let me give you the the brief uh, explanation of it. Justification is God's declaration that you are now righteous in his sight because the righteousness of Christ has been put to your credit, put to your account. And all you had to do was to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God gave you a righteousness not your own. Luther called it alien righteousness. A righteousness outside of us. So that now Christ has become unto us our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Philippians 3.9. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Romans 5.17. By one act. By one act. He justified the many. What was that act? That act was the act on the cross for sheep. He died in their place. And now God the Father says, you're right in my sight. I've justified you. How can you do that? My son set me free to give you a righteous standing and not violate my character. So I'm the just God that justifies the ungodly. Therefore, is any man justified by works? Nay. Where is boasting? It is gone. By what law of works? None. But by the gift of faith, you've received a righteous status. In God's sight, your case has been settled in court, and he has canceled all future judgment upon you. That's what he promised in John 5:24. Romans 8, 1, we are not headed for any divine wrath. All of my sins have been dealt with in the court of the cross. They will never be brought up against me again. Someone has said, they said, I had a man going through a struggle. He said, boy, in the midst of this trial, I've rehearsed every sin I ever committed and hoping I got them all repented. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did the cross cover them or did it not I don't have any sins hanging out that God's going to bring up to me when I see him. They've all been covered. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You don't glorify God walking around looking guilty all the time. Some of you do have that look, though. You're guilty just see you, and you think it's Christian life. Be, always look down, that keeps you from temptation. You remember they had the blind Pharisees? The blind Pharisees were the guys that uh, either wore bandanas or scarves. They believed so strong you weren't to look on a woman to lust for her. Uh, They called them the bleeding Pharisees because they covered their eyes and they walked into so many objects, they were bleeding all the time. God doesn't want you bleeding. He wants you blessed. Uh, Wearing enough scarves, you still lust with your eyes covered. So, you know, Take off the bandana and uh, heal up. Uh, Finally, the Father saves us by grace, and this is my problem. Uh, And remember, I believed all the opposite, so I've got to be humble, Uh, is that if I brought no merit to make me ever saved, how can I get enough demerit to unsave me? What merit did I bring to be saved? God, you better save me. You don't get many like me. I can imagine angels saying, whew, we're so glad. (laughs) What what did you bring to the table? Nothing but your sin, your rebellion, your darkness, all of this. They could sprinkle you 15 times at the font, baptize you 80 times forward, backward, and hold you down three minutes. (laughs) Sean says, being married to Deborah, It seemed to him just like it's been 10 minutes. I said, son, that's great. He said, yeah, but it's been underwater. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I never quite heard it that way. Uh, You know, it doesn't matter all your religious works. Quit telling me you belong to this. Are you a sheep? I'm listening for the bath of obedience. I, I follow him. Who do you follow, your lust or your shepherd? This world's voice or the voice of the shepherd? What a great shepherd we have. I wish I could say more about him right now, but I'm constrained by time.